Welcome on into the program. We like to call OC and Z and friends, Zachariah, Sean O'Connell, who unfortunately could not be here today. Ken, he sends his apologies. He's got some house stuff to deal with. But we do have Great Face Dave, and most importantly, we have the man, the myth, the legend, your Oakland A's radio broadcaster, Mr. Ken Korak. Go check out his books, Holy Toledo, Lessons from Bill King, Renaissance Man of the Mic. I myself have a personally signed copy, and also... If These Walls Could Talk, Oakland A's, stories from the Oakland A's dugout, locker room, and press box, along with Susan Slusser. You know, Dave, a lot of people throw around compliments in this industry, but I want to be very clear that I mean every word when I say that this man is a gem, not only as a true professional of sports broadcasting, but also as a person, and also specifically to me, willing to offer guidance when I need it, or being helpful with his time like he is right now. He is the absolute best. Ken, how are you, my friend? Well, you've paid me well for those compliments, too, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Checks but, in the mail? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's good to be on your show. Yeah, so we released an interview with your partner, Vince Catronio, this morning. That was actually pre the Major League Baseball agreement, and we talked about whether or not that was even going to happen. Thankfully, they finally came to a resolution, but I want to start here. Number one, how have you been dealing with no baseball? I know it's been a drastic change to my life. Ken, I didn't even know what Netflix was before sports was taken away from me. So it's been a drastic change to my life. I can only imagine what it's been like for you. And how have you been dealing with no baseball, and how happy are you that it's back? Well, I can give you a long-winded answer to that because I think the answer is layered. I think I'm like everyone, my wife and I. And for the most part, we've been sheltering in place since the middle of March. And so there were times when baseball, I guess, was the farthest thing from our minds and trying to follow the guidelines and protocols. And like pretty much everybody else, it also, and I've mentioned this on interviews before, Zachariah, it's been an intense time in the country as well. I mean, there have been a lot of things going on. The killing of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. I think that's, I think for me anyway, led to a lot of introspection too. So this is a time in our lives we've never been through before, but compared to so many people, Zach, who've struggled financially, obviously emotionally, physically. We just found out a very close friend of my wife's has the virus. She's not doing great. So there have been times, honestly, when baseball hasn't exactly been at the forefront. I mean, that's shocking because for me, and, you know, maybe you're just a better person and you're less selfish than me. But, I mean, yeah, obviously there's bigger stuff going on, but it's just been a huge void. And I would think for you, somebody whose whole schedule is kind of dictated around that. I mean, it's good that you have the amount of introspection to not focus on the baseball not being there. But, yeah, for me, it's just been a huge void because sports, I mean, I knew sports was a big part of my life, but I didn't realize how big of a part of my life it was until it was gone. There's no question. I think for all of us, there's been this search for normalcy, and we've tried to get that, and I've done a lot of work, actually, even though there haven't been games, and that has been a real positive thing, I think, and I'm sure you agree, Zach, that trying to find that, because I've done a lot of programs like yours. I've spent an awful lot of time. I spent time this morning on the phone doing a little consultation with someone who works in the minor leagues. The A's had me doing quite a bit of recording and things during, especially in the month of April. Did some stuff that the Warriors asked a bunch of us broadcasters to do that because I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to the technical stuff, as you know. <laughs> hey, hey, don't tell yourself short. You downloaded Skype for today's program. It took me about six hours to do a recording <laughs> that literally was a minute and a half. So, but yeah, I think those things have been really important. 
And so anything that can give you even a semblance of doing your job, you know, those things have been awfully important during this tough time. Yeah, I mean, I've been able to watch the 89 World Series again because the A's swept the Giants. But other than that, I can't really watch old games. So I've been watching NASCAR, golf, I mean, you know, anything that gives me something live with a result that I don't know. But I wanted to ask you this. The agreement is in place, but ESPN's Buster only said he thinks there's only a 5% chance they actually start the season. 5%, Ken, and a 0% chance that they finish the season. What do you make of that? I didn't see the quote. So I can't really comment on the quote. I will say this, Zachariah, that we're trying to thread a needle here, obviously. And I've also talked about this, that, you know, all the links in the chain have to be connected. So and I do think this is a difficult thing that baseball will be attempting. But I think it's important that maybe it's incongruous to mention this, that it's important for people, especially those of us who work in the game, and we're not going to be down in the field in the clubhouses, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that, or traveling on the airplanes, but the more people understand how difficult this is going to be, I think there's the greater likelihood that the protocols and guidelines are followed because you can't break that chain at all, or then there will be some serious implications. Yeah, without a doubt. And yeah, you just kind of alluded to it, so let's go right to it. What have you been told in terms of you calling the games Are you going to be at home games, but you're not going to be on the road games? Where are you going to be calling the action this year, Ken? Well, I'll preface this by saying that all of it is still a little preliminary, that we haven't nailed it down for sure. But it looks like we'll be doing the home games and the road games from the Coliseum. So the A's have mentioned to me that, and this would be my preference, that because there won't be any visiting television, of course, teams aren't going to travel, that I would do the game, Zachariah, from visiting TV. I'd be there by myself in that booth, and Vince Catronio and our engineer, the great Michael J. Baird, will be in our regular broadcast booth, in the Bill King broadcast booth. So right next door, we're close enough that I don't think we can have eye contact and we can do our job like we normally would. There's just a, and you've been up there before, there's a clear pane of glass between the two booths. So in terms of the setup, it looks like that's the way we're going to go. And this is kind of an inside, possibly dorky question in terms of the industry, but I was blessed enough to do the A's pre and post game on the radio, and I brushed shoulders with you a ton of times during games. So I'm just wondering, because with radio, it's different than TV, right? With TV, you know that the person at home that's listening to you is also looking at what you're looking at. But on radio, you have to kind of paint a picture. So I'm wondering, like, are they going to have cameras in different angles for you to be able to paint a picture for the person listening on the radio or on satellite or streaming or however they get A's baseball? Is there going to be a way for you to be able to do that the way that you want to? Because I know it's different than when you're actually at the ballpark. Well, that would be for the road games, right? Because for the home games, we're going to be doing the game like we normally would. The only difference would be the absence of crowd noise. So, And Matt Pearl, who runs the A's broadcast department, has been intimately involved with this and talking with Major League Baseball and also the television people. And he and I have had several conversations, as Vince and Mike have had as well. So I think the fans, and I really believe this, that our fans will be understanding that we're not going to nail every call. There'll be things while the team is on the road that we're just not going to see the way we normally would if we were calling the game live. Now, that being said, to answer your question, and it's a good question, we're hopeful, and it looks like we might get an overhead camera Beside the regular view that fans would see ordinarily watching the game on TV, you know, the main feed that you would see, 
we would get an overhead camera shot from high above the stadium so you could see where all the defenders are playing, which I think is critical now, Zachariah, especially because of all the shifting in the game. I'd really like to know if there are three infielders on the right side, that if a ball is hit over there, that like the shortstop's playing over in the second base position. I mean, that'd be a, a vital component to calling the game. So it looks like we, there's a good shot that we'll be able to get that. And we can also kind of refer to that as runners are you know running the bases. So that would be a really important thing to augment getting the regular television feed of the game. I was going to ask you a different question, but you just brought up something that I want you to touch on a little bit further. How do you feel about the shift? I'm kind of yeah, we're going I, there now, huh? Well, no, just because you mentioned it, and I've never actually asked your thoughts on it. I'm sort of torn on it. Part of me says, you know. Whatever you need to do in order to give yourself an advantage, you should be able to do. But it's really annoying when a guy hits a line shot. You know, I mean, I I only played baseball till high school, so I'm not trying to compare myself. But if I hit a line drive shot that should have been, you know, a single or a double in the gap, but there's a guy shifted over there in between the infield and the outfield, that would really pee me off. So I'm just wondering how you feel about the shift in general. Well, I think in calling a game, it's really changed what we do. Because I feel that it's important to set up every pitch and tell the listeners where the infielders are playing. I'd rather not do that. There are other things I'd rather do than say, before we tell you where the 2-1 pitch <laughs> yeah. is going or that's happening, that, yeah, he's back on the other side. And you kind of feel with some of these clubs, like the Astros, they're shifting before every pitch. So, And trying to keep track of that, I think, has been difficult. It's been one of the biggest changes in the game for me as a broadcaster, especially with maybe a, like a National League team I don't know that well or they don't wear the numbers on the front of their jerseys or guys kind of look similar. You try to, you know, the shortstop wears his socks up high and the second baseman wears them down low. So now you can differentiate who made the play on a ball. So the, other, <laughs> but the bottom line is it's part of the evolution of the game. I'm not thrilled with it, and you can imagine how hitters feel. They're less thrilled with it than I am, but that's just the way the game is played today. And I think we all have to adjust to it. Fair enough. Okay, well, let's continue down that path. And I want to ask you about the rules that were set up per the agreement. There's going to be a universal DH. So that means no pitchers batting in the National League. And also, if the game goes extra innings, runner is going to start on second base. How do you feel about those two rules? You can start with the first and end with the second. Well, here's the thing. Here's how I feel about that, and that is that anything goes in this season. Now, I think there's a decent chance that DH will stay and that we'll have it in the National League next year. I don't think, and and it may be, I mean, I think the commissioner has been thinking about trying to experiment, and they've done it in the minor leagues with a runner at second base in the 10th inning, so it may be something that they try to do next year as well. I'm not a big fan of it, but I think anything goes this year. I think the main thing, the health and safety of everybody involved, Zachariah, and everything else beside that is secondary. So whatever they decide to do this year, I'm okay with it. It's just going to be a different kind of a year. So speaking of a different kind of a year, I remember, what was it? Was it 94 when the Expos had that amazing? I mean, I love my A's, but I love that Expos team. Was it 94? 94 is when, yeah, I was rookie for the White Sox that year, and they were in a tremendous race with the Indians, neck and neck with two great teams. That was the year that they canceled the World Series. Yeah. Ninety-five was the year of replacement ball when the season started later than normal, of course. Okay, so what I want to ask you is, whoever wins the World Series, should this entire season get played out? I think about the Spurs when they had a 50-game season, I believe, in the NBA, and the, the Spurs beat the Knicks 
in the finals. Nobody looks back on Duncan's career and goes, he won five titles, but one of those was on a shortened season. So I'm wondering, whoever wins this title, should a title be won? Are people going to look back on it any differently? Do you think there's going to be an asterisk, so to say? Well, history will provide its own context. I don't think baseball should officially place an asterisk in the record book because if you can get through this season and now they haven't added another tier of playoffs so you could have a really good 60 game year and be dealt the fate the ace were dealt which is having to play in the wild card game three years in a row because especially the last couple of years the Astros were so good so if you get through the season with all the difficulties inherent of playing this game in the midst of this pandemic and then get through the postseason and get through the layers of the playoffs and win the World Series, to me, you are the World Series champions. Everybody is going to know this was the year of the pandemic. And like I said, history will provide its own context and perspective on that. But no, you're the champs and you should deservedly celebrate winning a World Series this year. Ken, you're so good, you lead me into my next question. I don't even know. I mean, it's not like we scripted any of this, but you're leading me into my next question, which was, let's get to the team that you cover so well, the beloved Green and Gold. 97 wins each of the last two years, losses to the Yankees and the Rays in the wild card game. How do you see the shortened season, should it be played out, either working for or against the A's, a team that, you know, damn near won 100 games the past two years? Well, they can't afford one of their slow starts. You know, they've, <laughs> yeah. their early season slumbering, they'll have to get over that because this is going to be a sprint to the finish. And I think there'll be a heightened sense of the importance of that. And Bob Melvin is the right guy to deliver that message. I think the players realize that. As far as the team on the field, they're really good. This is a really good ball club that Billy and David and Bo Mel have put together. So I'd expect them to have a good year. And I think a lot of people have talked about this already, of course, the fact that you have young pitchers like Puck and Lizardo who, given good health, will not be limited in terms of the pitches and number of innings that they're going to throw this year. But I will say this. I don't think anyone knows how this is going to look, right? I'm sure you agree. We have no idea how this is going to unfold, what it's going to look like. It may be the starting pitchers to begin the year are only going to be able to throw three innings or four innings or maybe 75 pitches or something like that. So that brings the bullpens more clearly into focus. So a team that has a good bullpen, the A's feel like they have one of the better ones. That would be a huge factor as well. The other thing would be an injury. If you pull a hamstring, one of your best players pulls a hamstring, something like that, you could be out for six weeks. That's almost the whole year, right? So... There are a lot of variables and a lot of things we just don't know about. I put you in a tough spot asking you whether or not I think it's more beneficial or not having a shortened season. The truth is nobody really knows, but I would think we would both agree that erring on the side of it being better for the A's based on them being a younger team. Go well, ahead. Let me say this, though. I think the long season has really benefited the A's over the years. You know, sincerely, and there's been a lot of talk about shortening the season or adding more playoff teams opposed to either one of those things that playing 162 games generally identifies the best teams. The fluky nature of what can happen in a shorter season gets weeded out over the course of a long year. And the fact the A's are so good at grinding at bats and making adjustments as the season goes along, and especially under the managers they've had, and with Bo Mill, of course, the A's don't give up at bats. They play hard every game. They battle all nine innings, and I think one of the reasons they've been such a good second-half team, if you add all those things together, 
And that's one of the reasons that the A's seem to just outlast these clubs over the course of a long season. Yeah, and to your point about the slow start and then them picking it up, two years ago they went 63-29 and from June 16 on, which is the best in the MLB, to make the playoffs after being 11 and a half games out of first. Yeah, and right. then, and then right. last year, Oakland went 60 and 29 from June 17th on, also the best in the MLB, again making the playoffs after being 10 and a half games out of first. So hopefully. So yeah, when they won 20 consecutive games in, the, in 2002, the 19th straight win was on Labor Day. Hopefully they bring that June mentality to the April mentality because it's going to be a sprint. Not a marathon. Yeah, that's right. I think they will. I really do believe that. And I think this club, you know, they don't want to have that wild card game again. Right, Zachariah? That's no fun. No. The last three not. times the A's have been in the postseason, they've had to play the wild card game against really good teams. They went to Kansas City. They went to New York. They hosted Tampa Bay. And that is really a tough deal. No doubt. And it's not, Ken, it goes further back than that. Believe me, you're talking to a kid, <laughs> as I told Vince, that took Bart, skipped school to take Bart to go to A's games, and all those elimination games, all those game fives, the flip, whatever you want to talk about, elimination games, the uh, the, you know, the John Lester game in Kansas City, none of that stuff has gone well. So hopefully they can find a way to get a little bit more of a cushion. All right, I want to talk about the starting rotation. Four of the five starters will be 28 or younger. Manaya, Montas, Puck, Lazardo, and then obviously backing up Fires, who's 34. But four of the five will be 28 or younger. And we talked about being youthful and that being more helpful. What do you make of the rotation? Because I feel better about it now since we had the big three. Well, yeah. And that's why I've always said that the 2001 team was the best team the A's have had in the time that I was doing the games. And as you just explained, you were just a kid back then. But the rotation is really good, and you, you didn't mention Chris Bassett. So to have yeah. a guy like Chris as your sixth guy gives them a lot of depth. And so given good health, and as we said, you kind of take the restrictions away from guys like Puck and Lazardo. I know AJ had a little strain in his shoulder during the spring, but they say that he's fine. Lazardo has a chance to be one of the elite pitchers. Manaya should be fully recovered now. He pitched well with the exception of the wild card game, but he was lights out in September. The other thing about Frankie Montas was that he was one of the best pitchers in baseball during the first half. I think he was going to make the all-star team before the suspension. And who knows? He owned up to it, and he was accountable to the fact that he deserved the suspension. But my point is he could have started the wild card game last year if he had been available all year. So, And, you know, Zachariah to be a successful team in the postseason, and we saw this last year with the Nationals, yep. with uh, Scherzer and Strasburg. You need elite, generally. It doesn't always work out that way, but elite starting pitchers is the best prescription for having success in the postseason. And if guys like Puck and Lizardo can take their games to that level, it gives the A's a much better shot. And, you know, Mike Fires kind of gets overlooked. If he throws another no-hitter, that would be his third, and he'd be joining some pretty elite company. From that standpoint. Absolutely. And then in terms of the lineup, it seems like there's enough firepower there. I'm wondering how you feel about it in general. If the starting pitching is as good as I think it's going to be, do you think there's enough pop in that lineup? Obviously, Chris Davis, not a huge average guy, but a big home run guy. Then you got the two mats, Olsen and Chapman, Simeon at the top of the lineup. Loriano has proven to be a spark plug. You got Canna, Piscotti. Murphy and Kemp. I'm just wondering, 
in terms of the offense, how confident are you feeling in them being able to produce runs? That's a pretty good group you just mentioned. Yeah. I, I would say, I'd that, say so. Right? You, you don't win unless you have impactful players. And one of the great things about the A's, and I know the circumstances are such that fans won't be able to go to the games, but you know, guys that impact the game are winning players, and the A's have impactful players. All the guys you mentioned can really impact the game offensively and defensively. So the A's have elite players. It's not just a matter of having a bunch of like ensemble of good players. They have elite players on this club. And so I think that's one of the reasons that everybody feels optimistic about their chances. I do say this, too. Zachariah, and I'm not sure how you feel about this or how other people who are listening might feel, but I think the teams that are going to have success this year are the ones that are really engaged in the season. Because we're going into uncharted territory here for sure. Everybody knows that. We talked about the unknowns that everyone is going to have to deal with, but you know how engaged you are in this season, considering how different it's going to be, I think we'll go a long ways toward kind of separating the teams that play well and those who don't. I think Greyface Dave has a question about the Corona. Yeah, hey, Ken, how you doing? Hey, um, I'm doing great. I just brought up injuries earlier and staying healthy, and I just had a question. Is the coronavirus being factored into, like, injuries and how the season will be played out and keeping people healthy? Have they talked about that in the league office with you? I think there's 113 pages of guidelines and protocols that were part of the negotiation and eventually when the two sides agreed to play this season. So it's very much at the forefront. Everybody is talking about it. Everybody knows what's ahead. And like I said, the inherent difficulties of trying to play in the midst of a pandemic. So certainly, and as far as kind of the mechanics of all of it, my understanding is that there'll be a special category if a player test positive. Obviously, he won't be able to play or be around the team. He'll be isolated. There'll be contact tracing, and that player will go on. I'm not exactly sure of the terminology, but for the sake of our discussion, it kind of be the COVID-19 list that that player will go on, maybe a similar thing to the injured list. So, no, it's very much at the forefront. I think that's what he's asking. Is there going to be like a special thing for the COVID where it's not necessarily the DL or they're not available. I mean, I guess it would be what, 14? I mean, 14 days is also the DL, so it would be pretty similar to that, right? Right, and there's no way of knowing if a player will be able to come back. I mean, everybody has a different symptoms and a different reaction to the virus, and even if a, a young player and a, someone that is in great physical condition doesn't mean that they're immune dealing with some of the more severe symptoms as well. There are a lot of staff and coaches who work closely with the ball club as well, and we have to be very careful. And I think everyone has to, and all of us, and like I said, we're not going to be down on the field. It doesn't look like we will be at all, but we all have a responsibility, not just those of us who work in baseball, but in life in general as a member of society to follow the guidelines and be as diligent and vigilant as we can all possibly be. It's amazing how much people can't just realize, wear your mask, stay at home, keep your distance. I mean, it's not yeah, brain I mean, surgery, and we can curve this thing. That's one of the best ways to eradicate it, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I want to get back to the field here and ask you about the leadership of the team. The A's, with not being able to retain guys like Giambi and Tejada, who I think of as leaders in the past, in terms of this actual team, you see Chapman, he gets fired up. Olsen 
seems to be one of those guys that gets fired up too. Simeon's more of like a quiet leader. I'm wondering who you look at. You could look at Manaya. Who do you look at as the leader of this team? Well, Marcus does engender a lot of respect amongst his peers on the club because, after all, he is the player rep. So they've entrusted him from that standpoint. And I think that you could have Connie Mack managing your club. And Bo <laughs> Mel is one of the best in the business, of course. Yeah. But leadership ultimately has to come from within. So if your veteran leaders don't lead, you can have the greatest manager of all time, and you're not going to have a real successful club. And it's one of the things that has been so apparent over the last couple of years was how hard these guys work. So if you set that kind of a tone, Zachariah, when you come out early to the Coliseum and see how hard, even before batting practice starts, that Chapman, Olsen, Simeon, the rest of the infielders are out there working so hard. And this is like in the afternoon, way before the game starts, because they're so dedicated to their craft. You don't win gold gloves by coincidence, like those guys at the corners of it. Marcus has made such incredible improvement. And so when you're a young player, you come up and you see how dedicated those guys are and the example that they set, you better fall in line. So if your best players are your hardest workers, that sets the kind of tone that I think allows a team to be successful. So I have no worries from that standpoint with the A's. And now I want to ask you this, because you've been so intimate with the A's and the A's broadcasting for so long. I did a little bit of the pre and post on the radio, and I've been a diehard fan my whole life. But when it comes to Billy Bean and Bob Melvin, I can't understand how there is any, any sort of criticism. I mean, you can point to Cespedes for Lester back when they lost that wild card game, but I was fine with that decision because Lester was supposed to win that game. He got enough runs. But just how great they've been, the fact that they've stayed when they could have gone to greener pastures and got more money, how amazing even though it hasn't resulted in World Series titles, but the amount of success and the amount of playoff appearances that Billy Bean and Bob Mellon have had, how great has it been having those two guys in the organization? Well, I'm deeply appreciative of that. And even before Bo Mel came here, the A's have had, you know, when you look at their postseasons, what Art Howe did, what Ken Maka did, Maka took the A's to the ALCS in 06. So those are the three managers, while I've been doing the games, who have taken the A's to the postseason. And I'm deeply appreciative, as I am of the fans and the fan base and how supportive they've been of me and my family over the years. But you think of a broadcaster and the chance to have, hey, have been to the postseason 10 different times since I've been doing the games. There aren't too many people who can say that in our yeah. business. And then a 20-game winning streak and all the thrills they provided me with so many great moments. The canvas has been full of colors for me as far as being able to broadcast the games. Three no-hitters, including a perfect game. So how many people get the chance? And it's just serendipity for us. We have nothing to do with it. But, <laughs> you know, but nobody's ever said good broadcast after a loss. So I think it's a lot easier to be liked when your team is winning. And the A's have won a lot during the times I've done the games. Yeah, well, I guess the reason why I point out Melvin and Bean is that they're doing so much with so little. I mean, not to take away anything from the players, but they're not signing huge free agents. They're not getting the Garrett Coles. They're not getting the Mike Trouts. I mean, they are working with less than most, and that's what is so impressive to me, and that's what mm -hmm. bothers me when there's any sort of flack sent their direction it's like what are you talking about do you realize what they're doing i mean they're making blank out of blankety blank or you know whatever the right. saying goes but 
it leads me to the stadium talk. Well, and the I'll other th- thing to this, too, because on a personal level, they've been very supportive of me. Billy, Bo Mel, David Forrest, you couldn't ask for a better group of people for me, you know, as someone who spent almost my whole life in baseball, you know, all those folks have been great to work with. And so with them working with less, I'm looking forward to them working with more. Like if Bo Mel and Billy Bean can get this type of success done with less, what could they do with more? So it leads me to the inevitable stadium question. And can I know times are different now and things are hard enough to get done in California, let alone Bay Area, let alone Oakland. But the Warriors are gone. The Raiders are gone. The A's are the only show in town. And David Cavill came in. He's made great improvements, fantastic improvements in terms of the fan experience at the Coliseum. But is there anything in terms of hope, in terms of putting a shovel in the ground, of getting a new stadium done? Well, I think at this point, considering what's going on around baseball and missing you know, so much of the season, just playing 60 games, and the obvious issues with revenue, that all that is something that we have to maybe hold off to discuss until, you know, we get past this tough time because it just, it's not at the forefront of my thinking right now. I think the A's are so optimistic, Zachariah, that this will happen at some point down the road, but we're just not sure how things are going to be structured going forward. And especially the revenue streams, if the, let's say the virus hangs around and is still a factor and is an impediment as far as maybe fans going to games next year. So I kind of think it's unfair even to consider or talk, you know, real seriously about what the future is going to look like, not only for baseball and something like a stadium. We're obviously hopeful, and I think it's really important to the future of the franchise. But, you know, at this point, I'd like to kind of hold off on that kind of discussion. And just to go back to what you said before, and with the A's doing a lot with very little, I mean, you're talking about the payroll. Because they have a very talented ball club right now. Yeah. So if all these guys were free agents, this team would not be a lower payroll club. They'd all be making quite a bit more. So this is an extremely talented team, which I think is validation of the job the front office has done and Bo Mel has done in molding this ball club that the A's have right now. Okay, another, a little bit of a delicate question, but the A's will have to go about it alone in terms of finances this year. They got a... Full share of revenue, sharing money through 2015, 75% in 2016, 50% in 18, and 25% last year. For the next two years, they don't get anything. And there's rumors about the gap and, you know, whether or not that's going to go under. So I'm just wondering, in terms of finances, they seem to be fine for now. And a lot of these guys are in preliminary contracts, which are going to keep them moving forward, but is it going to take a new stadium for them to be able to re-up these guys and not have another scenario where we lose Giambi and the big three and Tejada and stuff like that? I don't know. I think it'd be a better question to ask of Billy and David, and it's obviously uh, John Fisher's ultimate decision, so those questions are way above my pay grade. I will say this, (laughs) Dave Campbell, before, obviously, the pandemic, you know, and the terrible effects of this virus that Dave has been very open in saying that the A's can't afford another cycle of losing their best players. It's a very difficult thing. Tough thing for the fan base to deal with, and it's a tough thing, I think, for everyone to have to kind of come to grips with. So let's hope it doesn't happen, Zachariah. But like I said, in answering your question as it pertained to the stadium, I don't think any of us knows how the game is going to look moving forward after this year. Yeah, I guess, oh, man. 
I mean, because Ken, you're talking to a guy that loves the Coliseum. I mean, you know, you see memes out there on social media. It may be a dump, but it's our dump or whatever. I don't see it as a dump. I love the Coliseum. When I walk in there, I get energy, whether it's doing the pre and post game as a broadcaster or it's just watching the game as a fan. I love that place. And with the Raiders gone, maybe they could knock down Mount Davis and maybe they can just renovate what they have there. Is that even an option? I don't think it is. I don't think it's something they've thought about. I would push the button if that's what it would take to eliminate Mount Davis. I loved the Coliseum before Mount Davis was built. Yeah. Uh, I loved the Coliseum back then. It was considered the one of the... Ivy. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, it... You know, they had real bleachers out there. The integrity of the Coliseum as a baseball park was compromised by the, quote, renovation when the Raiders came back, and they were literally building Mount Davis while we were calling games in 1996. But there's a tremendous amount of history there, and there's a funky vibe to the Coliseum that I've always appreciated. I'm a fan of the foul territory. I think it's been a factor in the success, honestly, and we could talk about that at another time. And I love the energy in the fans, that the fans bring. So there's a vibe, there's a funky vibe that is kind of almost embodies the nature of Oakland itself in the East Bay, when you go to the Coliseum, that I think has been a big factor in the A's success. But the reality is, in terms of the infrastructure and the things that you really need to build up the revenues that you talked about, the Coliseum's time, I think, has passed. And so it would be a huge undertaking to do kind of a retrofitting of the Coliseum, and that's what you're getting at to eliminate Mount Davis and keep the ballpark, the rest of the structure in place and retrofit, kind of like what they did at Anaheim, which actually turned out pretty well. But I just don't think that's something the A's are considering. Yeah, I mean, I just meant if we're going to be so far away from actually getting a new stadium, whether it's on that site or the Howard Terminal or Laney College or whatever, if we're going to be that far away from doing it, I'm just saying kind of in the time being, I remember when the Oakland Coliseum was looked at as a pearl of one of the baseball stadiums to go to with the ivy and the water and the view of the Oakland Hills. So I just kind of meant in the meantime, I know in general there's too much stuff to do for that to be something that you would do long term. I don't know what it would cost to, like you're saying, blow up Mount Davis. <laughs> yes. I don't know what that would cost, and I'm not sure that the cost of it would justify doing it at this point, although yeah. it sure would be great to get the view of the Oakland Hills back. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be kind of a fantasy. But, you know, what you bring up is a valid question, I think. But the bottom line is that there have been no signs that the A's are not still intent on trying to build the ballpark on the waterfront just north of Jack London. But the timetable, of course, out of necessity, has been pushed back. Yeah. My dream is right there in the water, on the water, opposing the San Francisco Giants Stadium and just a beautiful venue in downtown Oakland where everybody can bar it. Anyways, I've had fantasies of that for years. Before we get to Great Face Dave and his goofy question, he's going to ask you a goofy question, Ken, so be prepared. I do want to ask you something a little bit serious about the Astros and their cheating scandal, which to me, it got a little bit of publicity, but not the amount that I thought that it should have. I mean, when I, I, played... I think that story was played up pretty big, but go ahead. I just, I think that, Everybody in baseball was very aware of the story and the, the way baseball came down on them. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, very aware, but I don't think, again, not to go back to my baseball career like it was a career, but the hardest time that I, I was an all-star my whole life until I got to the age when you could throw curveballs. 
And then I was terrible at baseball because I didn't know what the hell was coming. So if you know what's coming, to me, that eliminates 95% of the difficulty of playing baseball. I can hit a base. If you tell me I'm throwing a curveball, I can hit a curveball. If you tell me you're throwing a changeup, I can hit a changeup. If you tell me you're throwing a fastball, I can hit a fastball. If you know what's coming, to me, that eliminates such a large percentage of the difficulty of hitting that I don't think it got the necessary. I mean, it did get a lot of publicity, and MLB did come down on them. But to me, I would have stripped the title. To me, that doesn't even count. And I'm just wondering how you think this shortened season and now that baseball is coming back, how are the Astros going to come back into the fold? I think it was a big story, so I disagree with you there. I do think it was a big story. The manager and the GM lost their jobs. They lost draft choices. There was a fine imposed, which I understand was the largest fine that they could have been given. It wasn't a big hit. I mean, Jim Crane didn't take a huge hit financially from that standpoint. So I think it's a good question. It may be easier for them now that there won't be fans in the stands. I think so, yeah. Because they were going to have to deal with that, right? They were going to get a lot of abuse around the American League. And there's no doubt that I believe they were supposed to play the A's during the A's first homestand. I think the first Monday of the season would have been the Astros and the A's at the Coliseum. And who knows what would have. I'm sure that the A's fans would have been riled up for that. So the fact that they won't have to deal with that and the fact that you won't have the kind of intensity of media attention because there'll be no person-to-person interaction between media and players this year, and the number of media going to games, I think, will be limited. So I think from that standpoint, the Astros may have an easier time of it than they would have had. Great face, Dave. Go ahead with your goofy question. That hurts my heart to talk about the Astros, and I'll tell you, I grew up as a Dodger fan, so it just it hits real hard. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, not only the Dodgers, but the Yankees, too. I would be so yeah. peed off. I mean, it, I guess it affected the A's over the general time of the season for not winning the division. But, yeah, the Dodgers and Yankees got specifically screwed on that. Well, every team that played them, apparently, and I'm sure that you could put the A's in that group as well. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. You know, the Astros are going to play the Dodgers in interleague play this year. Ooh. They, weren't, <laughs> they weren't going to play them in the original schedule. They won't play the Yankees, but it looks like we're going to just be focused on the two Western divisions out here playing each other. So we'll have to see what happens when the Astros play the Dodgers. I'm guessing well, a couple of beanballs, Ken. I'm guessing a couple of beanballs. There might be a couple of uh, pitches inside, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. So, Ken, my question is, you've been around, you're a legend in yourself, but out of all the years doing broadcasting, who is one of the quirkiest, funnest guys to sit next to? And do you have any fun stories about that? Well, legendary is euphemistic for old. So <laughs> I, I will accept that. So that is a great question. I don't know. I've always said this because I get asked this all the time. And I would never say, like, I could never even quantify my favorite player because it wouldn't be fair, number one. And two, I wouldn't be able to determine that. I will say this, that the one guy who was unaffected and never changed, even though he became a big star, was Jason Giambi. So in terms of dealing with the media and someone who had tremendous amount of attention on him and all kinds of responsibilities with the media, I think all of us who were around the A's back when Jason was in his heyday owe a debt to him for how unaffected he was by the fact that he was emerging as a great star. Alex Coffey just recently wrote a great story about Miguel Tejada in The Athletic. 
you know, I always loved calling his games. I mean, he was just one of the most effervescent, energetic players, and you kind of never knew what was going to happen, but he, he had that, the way that he played the game was so impactful. There are some guys that were, you know, Jerry Blevins was someone who I enjoyed quite a bit. You know, our conversations with Jerry went way beyond baseball. And I remember several times at 35,000 feet in the middle of the night somewhere over America after a long road trip coming <laughs> home, talking to Jerry, just getting up and meeting kind of in the middle of the plane and spending time together because he was a fascinating guy to talk to. Sean Doolittle would, I think, be in the same category. So, But they've had a lot of great characters over the years and people I've gotten to know pretty well. And we've been fortunate because the A's Clubhouse has been a great place for broadcasters, for writers to spend time because the chemistry down there has been great. But as soon as I start thinking of players, I'm going to forget so many others. And that's just kind of unfair, I think. Well, it is great to hear your voice again. Go buy his books, Holy Toledo, Lessons from Bill King, Renaissance Man on the Mic, and also If These Walls Could Talk, Oakland A's stories from the Oakland A's dugout, locker room, and press box, along with Susan Slusser, the great Ken Korak. Ken, thank you so much. I can't tell you how appreciative I am, not only for your time, but for your ear and your advice over the years. I appreciate you so much, and I can't wait to hear you calling, hopefully, A's baseball here soon. Well, me too. We'll be ready to go, and I know Vince is working awfully hard as well. The fact that Vince had a very tough assignment trying to fill Bill's shoes after Bill passed away because A's fans never really had the chance to say goodbye to Bill. So, you know, nobody works any harder than Vince. So, Vince... And Mike Barrett, our great engineer, and I will be ready to go when the season starts. Uh, Sounds good. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank you so much. You're the best.